Well, glad you're here tonight. Some of you, if you're kind of a regular, you're going, that doesn't look like Jack. Um, Brian, out of habit, said Jack. My name's actually Brandon. And if you're a guest and this is your first time here uh, and you don't know who Jack is, you wouldn't have known that anyway. Uh, but I'm, uh, I'm Brandon and I'm glad you're here tonight. We are continuing in our series entitled Freeway. And uh, if you're kind of new to Elements, here's what we do. We take about um, anywhere from two to maybe six, seven, eight weeks, and we kind of we talk about the same theme or topic, and we look at what, the, what does the Bible have to say about that. And this is a series about freedom. And kind of the tagline that we're using for this series is a not-so-perfect guide to freedom. And we're talking specifically about the freedom that Jesus offers us this life of freedom that he came to give us a freedom from our past from our failures a freedom from our our present concerns and struggles and a freedom from our worries about the future and uh, last week jack started our series he, he talked about this idea of coming home of coming back to this place uh where we say you know what god um i've been running from you i've been doing my own thing i've gone the other direction and i'm going to come back right now and you know for many of us that's difficult because when we think about god we have a picture in our mind uh, that is not really the picture that we see laid out in the bible specifically jesus tells uh, a series of three parables and we looked uh, pretty much at this third parable this what's sometimes called the, the parable of the prodigal son this son who goes out he squanders his father's wealth and his inheritance and he leaves and he ends up bankrupt and he has nothing and he realizes i'm going to go back and i'm going to beg my father to take me back i'm going to beg my father just to be one of his hired servants and he's expecting his father to be upset at him and to be angry at him and instead he comes back and the father runs towards him and embraces him and gives him the very best. And the reason that Jesus told that story was because it was a picture of what our heavenly father is like with each and every one of us. And maybe that's your story. Maybe you wandered for a long time. Maybe you went and you did your own thing. You squandered your wealth. You lived it up and you realized this is not leading where I want it to go. This is not taking me where I want to be. And you came back and maybe you had some of those same thoughts. You thought, if I'm going to come back, if I'm going to get back into a right relationship with God, I'm going to have to make up for it. I'm going to have to do something to earn it. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The Heavenly Father, He, he welcomes you with arms open. And He invites you to come back. And maybe for some of you, you heard that story for the first time last week. Or maybe it was the first time that it really meant something to you. It kind of really hit you. And it touched you in a way that, that it had never really connected with you before. And you said, you know what? I'm tired of running. I'm tired of doing it. Maybe others of you, and I've been in ministry long enough to know that when we have this many people in a room and we have people all across the spectrum in their spiritual journey, which is exactly how we want it. It's exactly how the church should be because Jesus had people who were all over the map in terms of their walk with God, who were following after him and kind of investigating him. And that's what we want to be as a church. And, and maybe you're, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, it can't be that easy. It sounds too good to be true. And I'm here to tell you, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more tonight. It's not too good to be true. And you're saying, well, I still have questions or I have doubts. That's okay. We want this to be a church where you can ask questions. We want this to be a, a church where you can explore your doubts and, and kind of come to terms with those. And we believe that's how church should be because we believe that's how Jesus was. We also believe that this is a place where everyone's invited, where everyone's welcome, where everyone matters, regardless of where you're at in your spiritual journey, regardless of what's going on in your life. When Jesus was here on earth, 
This is God in the flesh, fully God, fully man. He hung out with some pretty shady characters. He hung out with with prostitutes. He hung out with adulterers. He hung out with people who were basically extorting money and stealing from others. And he hung out with with people like me, people who have a tendency to to be self-righteous, people who have a tendency to maybe think that God ought to love me because I don't do those things. See, when Jesus was here, he hung out with all kinds of people. And your heavenly father invites you to know a relationship with him and to experience the love that comes from unconditional acceptance. And he waits for you with open arms. Now, tonight, we're going to kind of build on that. Um, We're going to talk about what happens after we come home, because after we come home, we receive a new identity and a new strength. And this new identity and strength is is kind of unlike anything else in our world. Um, And we kind of we have to unpack this a little bit before we dive in and look at our text tonight, because when we think about our relationship with God, it's very, very important that we approach our relationship with God from the right perspective. See, we live in a world. We live in a world where relationships and economically we, we have a give and take. And here's what I mean. I do something for you and you do something for me. It's kind of a, a reciprocal nature. There's reciprocity there. And so I go to work five days a week. I get up, I go to the office. I spend at least eight hours there with our clients, you know, kind of on the phone, sending emails, helping them. I work for a software company. Okay. Every two weeks, the company I work for makes a deposit into my bank account. Now they don't do that out of the goodness of their heart. They don't do that because they're really generous or because it's some sort of a tax write-off for them. No, they make a deposit into my bank account because I have provided our services and assistance to our clients on their behalf. And the reason they have money to deposit into my bank account, which in turn allows me to provide for my family, the reason they have money to do that is because our clients pay the company for the goods and services that I provide them and for the troubleshooting assistance that I provide them. So there's these multifaceted layers. And I mean, we see this all over and I realize it's kind of obvious, right? I mean, you go to the grocery store, you pay for your groceries, you know, that money, it goes towards the food and the cost of, of transporting the food and the cost of the person who's ringing you up and bagging your groceries, probably with the bread underneath the eggs instead of the other way around. At least that's just That's always what happens to me. And as someone who used to work at a grocery store, that really gets under my skin. I'm like, is it that hard? Soft bread, heavy eggs. Anyway, all right, I'm done. Uh, It's kind of obvious, right? Because of the world in which we live, that that there's a give and a take. But here's the important thing, and you've got to keep this in mind as we go forward tonight. That's not how it is in our relationship with God. There is no give and take. It's one way from him to us. And see, even even in the context of relationships, this plays out in our lives, doesn't it? Your spouse or your friend. I mean, how many of you have a friend, right? You've helped him move three times, but every time you move, ah, I'm out of town. And then he's like posting photos on Instagram from the football game last night. And you're going, really? You're out of town. That's interesting, right? I mean, because there's this give and take or, or in a relationship with our spouse. I mean, if your spouse never does anything for you, how likely are you to want to do something 
for him or to do something for her. See, even in our closest relationships, and you say, well, it shouldn't be that way. We ought to be willing to do something. Yeah, in a perfect world, but we don't live in a perfect world. And none of us are perfect. And whether we consciously do it or subconsciously do it, we all keep score in our relationships. And we carry that mindset over to our relationship with God. And what we think, and and many times we do this, I know for me this is an unconscious thing. Some people consciously do it. And and it really didn't dawn on me until a few years ago that this was something I was doing subconsciously, is we kind of keep this scorecard. And we think, well, if I do enough stuff for God, then he'll kind of have to do something for me. And then we get upset when God doesn't come through the way we think he ought to come through because we think, well, I've done this for you and you kind of owe me one. The problem is that's not Christianity, at least not the Christianity that we see in the Bible. That's religion. That's us trying to earn our way back to God. That's us trying to put God in our debt, which is really kind of silly if you think about it. And I know you may be kind of all over in your understanding of God, but you know we believe that, that there's a God who's, who's loving and all-knowing and infinite and all-powerful and that he holds the entire world kind of, so to speak, if he had hands, he would hold it in the palm of his hands. And, and, and that God is going to be manipulated by us? And what we do, it's silly, and yet we carry it over into our thinking. And here's why this matters for what what we're going to talk about tonight. Nothing, nothing will keep you from experiencing the kind of freedom that Jesus offers, like getting stuck on the spiritual treadmill. Like getting stuck in this mindset that you have to earn your way back to God. Or that you have to to live and behave in such a way that God will be pleased with you. Or that God will love you. See, it's really hard to have an intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father when you're always worried about, have I done enough? Is He mad at me? Is He upset at me? It's really hard to love and to serve others, especially those that are kind of maybe more difficult to love and serve who require extra grace. It's really hard to extend grace to others when you're not even really sure that you understand grace yourself. And I'm not saying that any of us understand grace perfectly, but I'm saying if we think that grace is something we earn, then we're going to expect the same thing and treat others the same way. And we get stuck on this, on this treadmill and the focus and the attention is entirely on us. See, moving on and finding freedom, walking in the freedom that Jesus offers, freedom from our past failures, freedom from the struggles that we face right now, freedom from worry about the future. Living in that kind of freedom requires us to understand this new identity and this new strength that we've been given. More than that, it requires us to understand the source of this new identity and strength. And that's what we're going to see tonight. We're going to be in Romans chapter eight. You can follow along in you version or kind of in your Bibles. Um, you version is an app for your smartphone. If you don't have it, just search Bible, um, in either the, the Google store or the, uh, Apple store and just the, you know, just kind of search for Bible app or you version and that'll come up there. We put some notes in there. We put our verses in there. Um, there's some announcements and stuff in there. You can follow along. It's a great tool. We'll talk actually a little bit more about it, uh, later tonight, Well, we're going to be in Romans chapter eight. And if you're kind of new to the Bible, Romans is a book written by the apostle 
Paul. And, and here's what you may not know about Paul. Paul had a past. And when I say a past, I mean a past that will make everyone's past in here not look like a past, okay? When Paul comes on the scene, he's known as Saul of Tarsus, okay? We see this in the book of Acts. And uh, Saul of Tarsus was this incredibly religious man. He was part of the Jewish religious elite. He was the Jew that every other Jew wanted to be, right? We've all known that. We've all known those. If you're a Christian, you've probably all looked up to and admired uh, other Christians and you thought, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. I wish my faith was as big as his. I wish uh, my confidence in God was as big as hers. Paul was that kind of Jew amongst the other Jews, okay? He kept the law in the Old Testament, what we see in our Old Testament. He kept that law given to Moses, 613 commands. Perfectly, no problem. He tells us this in one of his other letters. And he wasn't exaggerating. He did keep those laws. And he was zealous for God's law. And he believed that in order to be in a relationship with God, this is what he had to do. And so around 30 AD, Christianity comes onto the scene. And some of these Jews start following Jesus. And they start believing that Jesus is this Messiah that they've been waiting for. And Paul, or Saul, as he's known at the time, he says, you know what? We got to stop this. We got to stamp it out. So he goes to the Jewish leaders. He gets approval to go around and to have these other Jews that are now kind of Christians. It's kind of this, this weird transition period between Judaism and Christianity. And, and Paul, um, Saul goes around and he has them arrested and he has them beaten and he has them murdered. Saul's a murderer. And so he's, he's walking along the road one day to a city uh, called Damascus, and he's actually got a letter in hand. He's going to arrest more Christians, and he's knocked down by a blinding light. And he hears Jesus speaking to him from heaven and saying, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he gets up and he's blind. He goes to the town. He becomes a follower of Jesus. And he takes all the zeal and all the passion he had for persecuting Christians and he puts it into spreading Christianity. And he becomes responsible for taking the gospel, the good news of all that God has done through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul takes that throughout the Roman Empire. Basically, he takes it to what at that time was the known world. And yet here's a guy who has a past. Here's a guy who was a murderer. And now suddenly God is using him and he's going around and he's planting churches and he's writing these churches letters. And some of these letters are preserved for us today in what is in the New Testament. And one of those letters is the letter that he wrote to the church in Romans. And tonight we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And, and Romans chapter 8 is kind of this huge chapter. In fact, we did a whole series on it last year. You can go to our website. Um, it was called Five. Uh, digging into kind of our identity in Christ, and it kind of unpacks more of what we're going to talk about tonight at kind of the top level. And so if you want, you can go to the website. You can kind of go back and watch that series. But Romans 8 dives deep into a discussion of the Christian life. Paul talks about kind of now that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, what does that mean for us? How does that help us in our struggle against sin? How does that help us when we face circumstances uh, that are just outside of our control totally? Or when we face circumstances that are horrible? What about suffering? Uh, How do we begin to look forward and move beyond that? And and we're going to dig in. We're going to be at the end of that chapter. And and Paul kind of, he pens this, this summary statement so to speak, about everything he's just said. Not only in chapter 8, 
But really, he looks back to the beginning of Romans and kind of Romans is his statement about the gospel. How does the life, death and resurrection of Jesus? How does that practically work out in our world? What does it mean for humanity? For those of us who have placed our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, what does that mean for us? How are we changed? How does the gospel shape the way that we live? How does it shape the Christian life? How does it shape the way we interact with others? And so at the beginning beginning of Romans, Paul kind of lays out this notion that, hey, everybody, everybody stands condemned before God. Because God's standard was perfection and none of us have met that standard. In fact, we have all gladly and willfully rebelled against that standard. And so God did what any loving Heavenly Father would do for a rebellious child. He initiated a response. He sent His Son, Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we should have died. God took His his just and good wrath against sin and He, He took it off of us and He He put it on Jesus. And Jesus took our place. Jesus became our substitute. And when Jesus came back from the grave three days later, He proved that the power of sin had been broken. Not that sin was totally gone yet. That day is coming, and Romans 8 talks about that. But the power of sin has been broken. The penalty of sin has been paid. Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, a sacrifice that we don't do anything to earn. All we do is receive by faith His offer of forgiveness. That that sacrifice was acceptable to God. And so this is kind of what Paul has laid out so far in Romans 8, that now we have this right relationship with God. And it's not because of what we did, it's because of what Jesus did. And it's in response to this that he says these words in kind of in Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 31. Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? And these things is, is everything I just talked about. Everything he's already talked about. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things See, if god is for us and we know that he is because he sent his own son to die an innocent man to die in our place if god's for us that way then really what what can come against us who shall bring any charge against god's elect it is god who justifies who is to condemn jesus christ is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. This certainty we have in our relationship with our Heavenly Father is not based on what we do. It's based on what Christ has done. And the picture that Paul paints is incredible. It's not just that Jesus died and rose again, but that He is right now interceding on our behalf, not in some general sense, but in a very real and personal way. And you know what that means for you and me? It means we can let it go. It means that that thing in your past that you're just not sure about, that thing in your past that you're just going, I don't know if God could ever love me for that. I don't know if God could ever accept me. 
I don't know if he could really forgive that. You can let it go. It means that struggle that you are facing right now, that temptation, that habit, those sins, and you're going, I've tried everything I know to be free of it, and I just can't do it. You're right, you can't do it. And we'll talk about that. It means that the future, the worries and the concerns you have, it's not that they're not significant and it's not that, it's not that there's never going to be anything and we're just going to live these happy, carefree lives with no concerns or no worries, but the reality is that because of what Christ did, we can know that our future is secure and that God is working behind the scenes and that He's working everything out in our lives for a purpose or a reason. No charges can be brought against you that will stick. Why? Because Jesus did what you could not do for yourself. He lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death that you deserved to die and that I deserved to die. And he came back to life and he offers us through faith in him. He offers us a relationship with our heavenly father. He offers us the opportunity to experience a new identity and a new strength in our lives. Because let's face it, we could all use a new identity. We could all use his strength. Because we're going to go out this week, some of us before we even get home tonight, and we're going to blow it. We're going to sin again. That's just a fact. I mean, I have a toddler and a, a three-month-old. And and when I, we're leaving, it's, it's, it's Michaela, our almost three-year-old. It's her bedtime. Okay, and so she's like melting down. I'm dragging her to the car and I'm getting upset and I'm getting angry and we're leaving church. I mean, that's bad, right? See, I'm going to blow it. Or you're out, you know, you're out in the parking lot or you're coming, you know, on your way home and someone cuts you off and you're blaring your horn and you're getting mad and you're going, ah, oh, you know, should it be that big of a deal? You know, it, we got it pretty good here. I actually, in grad school, I worked, uh, I was interned at a church huge church and we had i one of my responsibilities was to oversee the volunteer parking team uh, because we had you know a couple hundred cars coming in and going out and we had almost no parking in downtown dallas where we were and so we kind of had this whole thing and it was always amazing to me everybody go inside god bless you have a wonderful day great and they get in their car and they're laying on the horn and i'm like look i realize the cowboys game is coming on but they stink you don't need to go watch that right you're gonna out look at that Loudest cheers you got is for making fun of the Cowboys. Right? And we'd be on the radio and it's, look out for the guy in the silver Mercedes, right? Why is it that people in nice cars are just not very nice sometimes, right? I mean, some of us, like, we worked hard for our Corolla, okay? And it's trugging along and it's got 125,000 miles. And it has another 125,000 to go at least. Okay, so be nice. Don't be a jerk if you have a nice car. Good for you. Give me one. Okay, um, and then we can talk about things like that that maybe are kind of, they're not insignificant, they're not trivial, but they're not as big as some things. But what if we blow it big time? I mean, what if we do something that we're just so sure God could never love us and forgive us? Well, we'll come back to that at the end because that's where the text takes us. But for now, let's continue on. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
This is Paul's fourth question, fourth rhetorical question, fourth time he's asked something of this nature. And every single time the answer is Christ. Every single time the answer is no one and no thing can come against us. Why? Because we're awesome? No. Because if we have placed our faith in Jesus and what he did on our behalf, then his identity in his strength is in us. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All of those, all of those were personal experiences for Paul, except the last one when he wrote this. And, and that would one day be his experience. Paul would die by the sword. And Paul's saying, I'm convinced that none of that can keep us from God. It's been that way forever. He quotes Psalms as it is. Uh, he quotes Psalm as it is written for your sake. We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he says this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Now, if you've been in church for any period of time, you may have have heard that verse. Right. And. And sometimes we kind of, we read the verse and and maybe we read the whole verse, but we kind of read it that way, right? We are more than conquerors and we stop. And so we get this, all right, here's the thing, whatever you're facing, Jesus is there for you. And it's true. And people mean well, but what ends up happening is, and then I don't think most people mean to do this, but they end up encouraging us to go out there and to battle in our own strength and to find freedom on our own. And so it becomes this like William Wallace type moment, right? You're more than conquerors, freedom, you know, and you're going out and, and then what happens? It's good for a day or two. And then you slip right back into your old habit and you start to wonder if if maybe there's, there's something wrong. Maybe there's, something that's missing in your life. You kind of feel like a second class Christian. And it's because we don't focus on Paul's point, which is the second part of the verse. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, we are more than conquerors and we are stronger, much stronger than we think we are. But it's not because of anything inherent in us. It's because of Christ and because of his strength inside of us. And this is where so many of us, so many of us get sideways in our Christian faith. We we recognize that, okay, if, if there's a God and his standard is perfection, I'm willing to admit I can't do that. I'm willing to admit that I I can't get in on my own. And so I'll trust in Jesus kind of to forgive me of my sins and to make me right with God. But then after that, we start to think that it's up to us to kind of stay in, that it's up to us to grow on our own and in our own strength and in our own power. It's up to us to kind of keep God happy and and to kind of pay him back, so to speak, for what he did. Us And Paul says, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. We are more than conquerors through what Jesus did on our behalf. See, Christ alone is the source of our identity and strength. Christ alone is the source of our identity and strength. And if you're like me and you were fortunate enough, you grew up in church you probably heard this at some point along the way, and it may sound obvious, but here's what I've discovered in my own life. 
that while it may be obvious up here, it doesn't always make it down here. Because every single day, and and when I say every day, I mean every day. Every single day, I am tempted to put my identity in something or someone other than Jesus. I'm tempted to put my identity in my job. A job that it's not my dream job. It's not the job that I would pick for myself. And yeah, it pays the bills, but I don't get up in the morning and go, yay, I get to go to work today. Not very many people do. I'm tempted to put my identity in my performance reviews, in in how happy I am, or how well I do in making our clients happy with the service that I'm providing them and the support for their software issues. I'm tempted to put my identity in, in how much money I make, the car I drive, whether or not I can afford the latest iPhone. Whether or not my, my toddler listens to me and obeys me. Whether or not people think I'm a good father. Whether or not I have a good relationship with my wife. How much influence I have. How many people came the week that I was speaking, right? That's why we don't announce who's speaking. Because then you would decide to come or not come, right? You know, I'm, you're tempted to put your identity in all of these places. And not only that... But I'm tempted when I look at these struggles then to try to muster up the strength inside of me to deal with that temptation and to deal with those struggles and to deal with the other sins that are in my life. And I lose sight of the fact that Christ alone is the source of my identity and Christ alone is the source of my strength. And so as we kind of we move forward on out of this, what I want to do is I just want to encourage us maybe to take one next step tonight. And that next step is to embrace your identity in Christ. Embrace your identity in Christ. See, this is why if you're not a Christian, I really you ought to consider becoming a Christian, because when we trust in Jesus, when we say, uh, you know what? I can't be right with God on my own. I trust in what Jesus did on my behalf on the cross. I trust him as my savior and as my Lord. And I'm going to turn the reins over to him. I'm going to let him be in control now. When we come to that place in our life where we do that, we are given a new identity. We become a beloved son or daughter of our heavenly father. We are given a new strength. And it's not because we've earned it but because Jesus earned it on our behalf and he takes his holiness and his perfection and his righteousness and he graciously gives it to us. It doesn't make sense at one level, but that's the incredible love that God has for each and every one of us, that he would offer his son and say, everyone, everyone who calls on my name and who trusts in Jesus can be saved. The offer is for everyone. For God so loved the world, we talked about last week. He loved the world, and so he gave his son. And when we believe in what Jesus did, we receive eternal life. Life with God. A life where we're invited to experience 
freedom. And so as you're going through your day, and as those past failures start to come into your mind, you remind yourself, there's no condemnation. I'm in Christ. I've been forgiven. That's been paid. As you think about your present struggles, you're going, I'm not on my own. The Holy Spirit is inside of me. The Holy Spirit will give me the strength I need to overcome these struggles. As you worry about the future and you think about what could be or what might be, you can rest in the fact that in Christ, your ultimate future is secured. And you're going, well, that sounds great, but I mean, this, this is kind of new to me. I mean, this whole faith thing is new to me. I mean, how do I even find out about that? Okay, here's the really cool part. And this, this used to be more difficult than what it is now because of technology. So you can take your phone, if you have a smartphone, or if you don't have a smartphone, you can go on to Bible.com and you can, you can go on there and you can search for the phrase in Christ. And here's why that phrase is significant is that many times, not always, but many times Paul uses that in his writings to kind of as a shorthand way of referring to all the blessings that we have in Christ. And so he'll often talk about how we're loved or we're forgiven in Christ or in Christ Jesus. And so if you do a search for in Christ, what you'll find is you'll find a list of verses to remind you of your identity. And you can you can click on the verse and then you can kind of read the context around it to get this picture And to kind of understand this new identity and this new strength that Christ has given you. Now, if you're still just, you're not sure, because again, it sounds too good to be true. And really, it is too good to be true. And that's what makes it so amazing. That's why we sing about amazing grace. Because it is amazing grace. It is too good to be true grace. But I want you to listen to how Paul concludes. And this is kind of how we're going to conclude our time here tonight. I want you to listen to how Paul concludes because he comes back to something that I think every single one of us will wrestle with at some point in our Christian life. And that is, well, what if I really blow it big time? God's going to disown me, right? He's going to kind of push me out and he's going to be done with me. I mean, I may, I've made a mess the first time, but now, you know, I'll try to get things right. I'm trying to live right. What if I mess up again in the future? Listen to how Paul concludes. He says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Do you know what anything else in all creation means? It means anything else in all creation. Anything you can find in this world. You know, he he got to the end and it was as if Paul said, you know what? I just got to make sure they realize that there's nothing. So anything else in all creation, that'll cover it. Anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you are in Christ, nothing, no decision you've made that you will make, nothing can separate you from God's love. Because it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on Jesus and what he did on your behalf. And the only hope that you and I have for experiencing the freedom that Jesus offers, the freedom that he died to give us, is if we recognize, Jesus, you are the source of my identity. And Jesus, you are the source of my strength. Let's pray.
Father, I pray that you would take that truth and just drive it very, very deep into us. That it would not be something we listen to and we kind of pass off and think, nah, that that doesn't apply to me. But that you would enable us to see that everything we have has been given to us in Christ. We thank you for his life, for his death, for his resurrection. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We're going to transition now into a time of communion. Uh, And this is something we do every week. And what communion is, is it's a little cracker and a cup of juice. And what that is, is a remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And so if you're here and you've come to a place where you've trusted Jesus, um, I would invite you to just come on forward at some point in the next couple of minutes here and to take that cracker and to take that juice. And then from there, we'll continue on and we'll sing a couple more uh, worship songs together. And then we'll transition outside where we're going to see baptism tonight, a picture of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus.